Thank you, LV. Good morning, everybody. Happy New Year. It's good to be here with you. It's, uh, it's the first Sunday since Christmas Eve that I've been here, so I thought I should wear a Christmas gift sweater, <clears throat> uh, right? Isn't that what you're all doing? Aren't you wearing your Christmas gift clothes? Isn't that what we do in January? But I'm going to have to wear this like several times because then I'm not going to be able to wear it again for 10 months, uh, and so you might see it again. But um, I am happy to be back. I, the last two weeks I haven't been here, uh, January 3rd, uh, I was teaching at my dad's church in Scottsdale because my parents were celebrating their 40-year anniversary. Uh, some of you uh, are, are brand new, but those of you who have been around, you might remember my, my parents were here one Sunday and they shared. Uh, they've been fantastic parents, and so it was a privilege to be able to uh, help celebrate them on that marker, that 40-year milestone. And then last week, I just got sick as a dog. I mean, I was just, I had the flu. Uh, the flu, has everybody had the flu in the last month? It feels like it's insane. Uh, my family is just cycling through uh, my family, but I am healthy now. I'm really uh, great. Uh, for Kyle, for the team uh, filling in, and I'm happy to be back here with you this morning. Uh, because I wasn't here last week and I had prepared to be here, I wanted to talk a little bit about, quickly, just about 2015. Because it's important, just as human beings going forward in life, that occasionally we also look back in life. If you don't know kind of where you come, came from and, and what God did, it's hard to be intentional about what you want to see happen going forward and what you anticipate that God might be doing in your future. So I just want to pause briefly and celebrate what God did in our church in 2015. So let's do that. One is that after, I don't know, a year and a half, two years of kind of going through this painful process of trying to get a, a home, a, a new ministry location for our church. Not that we don't love this place, but, but that we would have a different space. We finally secured a deal with the Regency Movie Theater in the corner of Beach and Warner. And so that is happening in 2016. We'll be we're going through the city process right now, and then we'll do construction, and then we'll be in there, uh, God willing, by the end of the year, uh, short of some kind of catastrophe happening. So uh, we're grateful and excited that that happened last year. Grateful for all the people People that participated in that. We are excited that over 300 people went through Rooted just last year. There's 100 going through right now. Um, this week just started. We, our life groups almost doubled. Uh, the people that show up here on a Sunday grew by 20%. That's all exciting stuff. The impact that we made, by the way, uh, in Oakview, in the Oakview community, which is a low-income community in Huntington Beach, where we feel like God has asked us to make a very real impact. Our influence there has just grown enormously. They love us there. They just welcome us with open arms. Whenever you can come, whatever you can do, we love your people. We love the church. We want you to be a part of that. So we're seeing relationships built. We're seeing people impacted. Uh, and more than any numbers and statistics, we're just excited that God is changing lives in this community. We're excited that we see life change over and over again, that, that people are coming to know a relationship with God for the first time, that other people who maybe, maybe did go to church or did know God at some point in their life and then got, got bumped out of church or felt like they didn't fit anymore or, or felt like it wasn't for them or went through some hard circumstances, that many of those people have come back and are finding a home here, and that others who have gone to church their whole lives and like never missed a Sunday, that they're still here and serving and caring for people and growing uh, so it's just, it's just been awesome to see what God's done in 2015. And we're excited about what he will continue to do 
in 2016. So let me give you just a glimpse, a, a simple quick preview of the year to come. We plan to be moving, as I said, into the Regency Movie Theater in 2016. That will be very exciting. The second busiest intersection in Orange County. It will be a cool space. Uh, it, will be, it will be fun to be in there. Uh, your generosity is part of that process getting us in there. We are grateful for your generosity. Uh, and I want you to note that as a result of that plan of moving into that theater, this is a year of lasts. This is a year of lasts. I know that some of you really, really love this place. You love these purple seats. And it's going to be like, it's going to be a little bit of your heartbreaking when we move over there. And so I want you to pay attention to this year of last and to celebrate it and, and to be grateful for it and, and to not just gloss by it. For those of us that are just so pumped for that next space like me, it's important that you don't just live out there, but you also appreciate and enjoy the moment. So we want to celebrate a year of lasts and celebrate the fact that this is probably our last January, February, you know, series, relationship series uh, that will happen in this place. It's probably the last Super Bowl that we'll celebrate. Do we celebrate the Super Bowl? You know what I mean. That, that, we'll, that, that we'll have life group Super Bowl parties while we're in this space. It's, it's the last of uh, Easter services in this space. It's the last summer in this space. So we want to be excited about that. Make markers. Enjoy the journey. Uh, we're going to do Easter Saturday again in the park like we did last year. It was such a hit. It was so much fun. We had 700 plus people come out. We'll have more this year. And then we did all of our services on Sunday and they were all packed. Easter is going to be amazing this year. We're going to be in the park again on Saturday. Uh, please know El Nino and it will be awesome. Uh, it will be an awesome Easter. We are going to invest more than we ever have in our life group system and we are going to be helping you get in groups. And when I say those words, I know that there are a few of you that do this to the group idea. And that's okay. I love you anyway. You just haven't quite bought in yet to the idea that community is just better, like life is just better together. And so what I want to ask you to do is sometime between now and the fall, I want you to jump in a group. If only for six weeks. Here's why. A, we're in a relationship series that I'll tell you about in just a second right now. Not a better time to jump into a group, right? But also, in September, I've written a book based on the, the story of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. And in that, we're going to talk about Nehemiah in September, October. And for those six weeks, I really, really want every single person in a group. Because there's a there's book, there's questions, there's material, and I don't want you to miss the whole experience, and to have the whole experience, part of it is being in a group. So get comfortable with the idea of getting in a group, some of you, and either start this week because of our relationship series or gear up for it in the fall. It's going to happen, please. So now we launch our relationship series called The Art of relationships. And we talk about this because relationships are the fabric of our lives. I think that's a commercial. I'm not, I don't even know how that goes, but, but it's not cotton. It's actually relationships that are the fabric of our life. It's what makes up our experience of life. You cannot overstate the significance of relationships unless you move away and live on some deserted island by yourself that no one else has discovered and are incredibly lonely to the point of death your life intersects others for better or worse and your experience of relationships can be quantified by your experience of joy and happiness in this life 
It's just interwoven. That's how God wired this universe. We are dependent, interdependent on one another, whether you like it or not. And so in this series, you'll notice, bye. You'll notice that there's uh, some verses in a box right here from 1 Corinthians chapter 3 or 13, whatever it should be. And then it says, even, look at, look at, even if you've never been in church before, you've been to a wedding, right? And so 75% chance that you have heard these words before. These are the most famous words on love and relationships. Okay, they're the most famous words, but most people, they hear them, they kind of go in one, in one ear, out the other, and most people think that they're about marriage and just that, that kind of love. They're not. They're about all relationships, and so we are going to be talking, basing these next weeks, these next messages uh, from this passage as kind of our springboard, and then we'll talk about all kinds of things like sex, uh, like uh, plutonic relationships, romantic relationships, work relationships. It's, it's just all of it. It's going to be fascinating and fun, really interesting. You're going to want to be here for every week, uh, and we're going to springboard from this most famous passage about love. That is what's coming. Today is just an intro to set up the series, and I thought the most appropriate place to start is the thing that you all are just dying to talk about, I know, which is politics. So don't panic. This is not going to be a political. I have no agenda. I just want to reframe the idea of politics for you. It'll make sense in a minute because we are in this this political fury right now. And in the next 10 months, it's only going to get worse, more confusing, more chaotic. And some of you are already sick and tired of politics. You hate all the candidates. And it's just like, this is, this is I want nothing to do with this. This is, this is what I hate about, you know, America. And what, I, don't, I don't know where you are on that whole spectrum. But I think all of us could use a little bit of a reframing of what politics really is. The Greek word polis means city. You know, metropolis, it means city, community. And the related word politis is citizen. So when it comes to politics, at its root, at its core, at its origin, the word is simply about, the the essence of it is simply this, how we organize for the greater good of the people. That's what politics is. Right? It's become twisted and corrupted in our minds and all kinds of bad experiences and abuses of power and all that, and we get it. But politics at its core is a good word. It's a good word. We need it. We need to learn how to organize better together for the sake of human thriving, coming together for the sake of the whole. That's what politics is, and it's a good thing. Think about water. When you woke up this morning, hopefully many of you took a shower, and you turned on the water, and water came out. How did it do that? Who set that system up? When you get a water bill, who decides how much to charge for that? Who, who decides how to you know, allocate the, the, the patterns, the pipes, and all that kind of stuff? When we're in a drought, who decides when the, the ticker goes up and you, you're limited or you have to pay more if you go over this amount? Who decides that? Who decides where to put a fire hydrant just in case that there's a big fire we need access to a lot of water? Those are political decisions. Someone is making decisions, sitting around a table, organizing us for the greater good. How about... Uh, Parking and street cleaning, that one hits a little close to home because if it's Friday morning and you forgot and it's street cleaning day, it's 40 bucks. But, but who decided that? 
Who decided? Because we need streets cleaned. We need people not to park in front of our driveway. We need traffic laws. It's all political stuff. Helping us organize for the greater good. We want that. Politics is a good word. Politics is how we organize ourselves for the collective good. But here's where it goes a little bit funky is, is when we have and we do, different views of what it means to serve the greater good. That's how you have different political parties. Different. At, at the end of the day, in its purest form, everybody wants the greater good. But people differentiate how to get there, which is okay. Sitting around you right now, you have everybody on the whole political spectrum. You have the, you have the whole spectrum. People believe all over the place and different viewpoints, and that is just fine. That's a good thing, in fact. Where we go wrong is when we begin to assume that our way is the only right way or that our way is actually God's way. And we like land on one particular Bible verse to make ourselves feel like our view of this political situation is the right way and therefore everyone else's view is the wrong way. Did you know that all the major political parties look at Scripture and even Jesus' words to defend their position? They all do. They all believe that they're working toward the benefit of the greater good. That's at its essence. That's the thing. So where we go wrong is when we begin to leverage politics and categorize people. That's what I really want to talk about. How we categorize people to make ourselves feel better, feel right, feel more powerful, or more important. We love categories because our categories help us feel right. And we love categories because our categories make us not have to care. If we're in the right category, then they're in the wrong category. And I can just dismiss instead of discuss. If I'm in the right category and they're in the wrong category, then I can just reject instead of having a relationship. That's where it gets off the rails. That is where we go terribly, terribly wrong. And many of us are there without even knowing it because we've just grown up in such a way that our view of faith and our view of politics is just intermeshed and we just think they're one and the same and of course this is what God would do and what God would say. And there's other people on the other side of the aisle quoting the same verses to prove their point too. When we categorize, we do so so that we don't have to care. And friends, that is not just a political problem. That is a spiritual problem. Because when you categorize people in your life, you're doing so at the expense of caring for those people. And that's not the right way. That is not God's way. Let me just tell you a little give you a little glimpse of how I grew up. So I grew up with a, that kind of a mindset where there's people that are in and people that are out, people that are right, people that are wrong, people that are religious, people that are irreligious, people going to heaven, people going to hell, and it was like a black and white framework for me. And in high school, it looked like this. You walk around the high school, and you know based on where people hang out. If they're hanging out in the horseshoe over here and smoking cigarettes, obviously those are the bad kids, 
And if they're over here, those are the nerd kids. And if they're over here, those are the jock kids. And sometimes those are split and can be good or bad. And, so, and they're designated spots on the campus. And you actually categorize these people and decide whether they're good or bad, in or out. Friend of yours or never going to be a friend of yours. Based on just where they hang out on the campus. Or what they wear. Or what ethnicity they are. Or what religion they have they come out of. And we categorize to make sense of our world so that we don't have to care and we don't have to enter into relationships. Categories keep us from caring. When I, after high school, when I went to college, here's how it played out. Warning, this is, uh, this may be uncomfortable for a few of you. This is where things get real. You ready for this? We're in a relationship series after all, so, so here we go. Uh, and we have, you know, kid spaces over there, so here we go. This is like PG-13 at the most. But when, we went to, when I went off to college, I, I, I had a good friend of mine who said, hey, Caleb, before you go to college, uh, decide who you are and when, what you will and won't do before you get there. Because you're going to play volleyball, you're going to have access, you're gonna, people are going to think you're cool, and you're going to have all kinds of opportunities. If you don't decide what you're about and what you will and won't do, you'll just get caught up in everything. So I decided that I was going to try to you know, keep following Jesus, that I was going to make these decisions, that I wasn't going to just drink every weekend, that I wasn't going to sleep around. In fact, I drew a line and I was like, I'm not going to have sex. That's just not what I'm going to do. And so that was kind of like my moral decision, which if you're USC and you're the captain of the volleyball team, that's challenging. It's a challenging thing. <laughs> Uh, it's ju it just is. But that was my line because I was a good religious kid and I saw the world in black and white and that was a line that I could draw and something that I could stay away from, right? And so what do you do, which is, by the way, is a good decision. That's a good thing. Like in hindsight, looking back, I'm glad that I made that decision. However, in my mind at the time, I decided that was the line, everything above the line, fair game. Okay? Fair game. So... So what do you do in that kind of a situation? If, if it's not my wife, I haven't met my wife yet, and so I'm going to, you know, there's the line. I'm not going to have sex with them. But there's lots of opportunity. I'll just make out. Right? And so what do you, when you're a religious kid and you, have, you see the world in black and white, who do you make out with? I'll tell you who you don't make out with. You don't make out with all the girls that come to the Bible study you lead. That's not what you do. Because that looks terrible, right? <laughs> you make out with the girls at the sorority house, who that's what they want anyways, right? I'm better than the way that those other guys are treating them is how you justify it. Because they're in that category. They haven't made the kind of moral decisions that I've made. They, this is normal for them. They go further than this. That's fine in my childish college mind. And so I had a friend that called me out on that. Her name was Becky. And Becky lived uh, in an apartment near mine, and I knew that her friends were partiers. And so I, Becky was different. Like, I could tell that she had, she had some real depth to her, and I thought, maybe she's a Jesus person. I, but she doesn't ever talk about Jesus, and she lives with those people, so she's obviously not that serious about it. And uh, was, I'm just telling you, that was my mentality in, in those days. And... And so Becky heard that I had made out with a mutual friend, and she approached me, and she said, Caleb, can I talk to you about this? And I was like, sure. She goes, Caleb, you need to understand that a lot of people look up to you, and you lead this college ministry thing here, 
and you're an athlete, and people know that you're a Christian, and follow, and I know that you've got like this moral line that you keep of whatever, but I think that you have this moral line so that you actually don't have to care about people. You know that girl liked you, right? I was like, no, she did? No, that's crazy. She just, you know, whatever. That's just a call. No, 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 no. That, she li- actually liked you. And, and this other one, she did, she did too. You're kind of a religious, moralistic jerk <laughs> who doesn't actually care about women. You put them into categories as whatever they expect and how they, you know, you don't actually care about these women. And it got, like, for the first time, I saw it that way. And it was the beginning of this 10-year process of having a lot of that religiousness, a lot of that categorizing of good people and not good people, people who are in, people who are out, people who have whatever coming to them. I learned from Becky not about how to be religious, but about how to actually care about people and not just take. I think that probably hits close to home for some of you, others of you. Maybe you need to hear it in the business context. Do you put categories on people and on professions and things so that you don't have to care if they get cheated in this deal? Because they're cheaters, after all. If I wouldn't have done it to them, they would have done it to me. Or maybe in your neighborhood, in your kids' schools or your teens, people that come from a different ethnicity background, people that come from a different faith tradition, do you put them in categories so that you don't have to reach out to them and don't have to care? That's not the right way. Instead of categorizing, let's look at how Jesus lived. Because you can, you can find a phrase and a verse here and there to justify your position, to justify feeling like you're right. But when you look at the things that Jesus said on a whole, and if you look at the way he lived, it's something very, very different than categorizing and who's right and who's wrong and who's in and who's out. Jesus' message in its essence, his message to us is this. If I could boil it down to this, this simplest form. Put people first. Put people first. Jesus put people first. As you read through the Gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, those first books of the New Testament, you see that he just sat there for hours healing one at a time. Hand on a shoulder. What's your name? What is it that I can do for you? Walk away, healed. Life changed forever. Next person. What's your name? Jesus already knew their name. He knew them before the beginning of time, before they were even created. But he takes moments with people. He pauses in the midst of sermons to thousands or when he's walking to some powerful person's house. He stops and pays attention to a lonely, sick person. When someone's caught in this most embarrassing moment of her life, she's thrown on the ground, he kneels down with her. He put people first. Time and time again, it's what he did. In fact, 
He put on skin, gave up whatever. We don't even understand what it is for him, the God of the universe, to limit himself to human skin, come down here and sacrifice himself for you, putting you first. He encouraged the hurting. He welcomed the sinner. He welcomed the insider and the outsider. In fact, he spent more time, the most time, with the people who were believed to be outside of God's graces. Jesus upheld the law, but he made this point very clear. People don't exist to serve the law. The law exists to serve the people. People don't exist to follow the rules. The rules exist to support human thriving, to support people living the lives that God always intended them to live, the collective good operating together. That's why the rules exist in the first place. That was always his point. Now, there were lawyers and there were politicians and there were religious leaders constantly offended by Jesus, constantly trying to get him in trouble and get him to be disregarded. On one of those occasions, there was an expert in the law, which just means this, an expert in the law in that day and Jesus' day is like the combination of a defense attorney and a seminary president in one person. Uh, the, the law and, and politics were so interwoven for Jews in that day, it was all one and the same. So this person thought that they knew everything, every loophole, every jot and tittle, every little aspect of law and how to operate in this legal system that they had for, for their religiousness. So this expert in this law of 613 laws in the biblical Old Testament that people were supposed to keep, he came up to Jesus because Jesus didn't seem to talk the way he was used to talking. And he said, okay, of all these 613 laws, which is most important? How do you summarize what matters the most? And Jesus says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. In another place it says, and with all your strength. In other words, with all that you are, with everything you got. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Everything else hang on these two sentences. Love God with everything that you are and love other people. Love your neighbor like you love yourself. That's what it's all about, Jesus says. You can, you can line everything else up in the Old Testament, New Testament on that. That's the summary. That's the cliff notes. That's the beginning and the end of the story. But when you look at the, the first part of it, love God with everything you got. There's, there's wiggle room in that, right? Because we don't really know I don't really know if you're loving every, God with everything that you've got. I just assume you're not. You just assume that I'm not because, because I don't even know what everything that I am means. All my mind, I don't know. I don't know what all of my mind is. I don't know what all my heart is. I don't know if there's like recesses of my heart that I haven't quite tapped into yet. Like you don't know. There's wiggle room in that. So a religious expert in the law type person could say, yeah, yeah, check. Look at all the things that I do. 613 laws and counting. I'm on it. 
There's wiggle room there. But then when he says the second is like it, he means the second is equal to, the second goes with, is attached. In other words, the way you love God with all that you are is by loving other people like you love yourself. There's less wiggle room there because we see it. Others see it. They feel it. They know if you're just looking out for number one. They sense it. They know if you're generous to them or just with yourself. They can see it. We can feel it. And so he ups the ante and he says, really, expert in the law, if you want to love God with everything that you are, you love other people like you love yourself. Did you know you can be courteous and not care? You can be nice and not loving. Have you ever been around someone who like grew up and knows how to do all the please and thank yous and is a very nice person, but you walk away from them or, or when you need them in a pinch, you cannot count on them. They don't really care about you, you discover. But man, were they polite. There's a difference, isn't there? The teacher of the law was leveraging the laws to make himself feel better, look better, feel right, look right, be elevated above the people. He was leveraging these laws to stand out and to be, look like he was in better standing with God than most people. He categorized people as in and out, heaven, hell, Jewish, Gentile, successful, unsuccessful, going somewhere, never going somewhere, winner, loser. He used the law to put people into categories and Jesus just didn't operate that way. And so the teacher of the law doesn't like Jesus' answer. He tries to justify himself and then he says, okay, then who's my neighbor? Because I'm nice to some people. Who's my neighbor? And Jesus answers him by telling him a story of the Good Samaritan. I have to hurry and tell this quickly. You're not going to read it. I'm just going to summarize it. Jesus says, There was a man who was on a journey from Jerusalem to Jericho, which is about 17 miles. Uh, Jericho is a place where people would vacation. There was an oasis there. There was nice things there. Jerusalem was more like the center of the hub. Uh, the temple was there. The religious order of things kind of emanated from Jerusalem. And so this man was walking to Jericho, and he, on this path, it's a dangerous path. People tried not to walk it by themselves because it was famous for having robbers and thieves. And this guy fell into the hands of robbers. And he was beat, and he was mugged, and they took everything that he had, and they left him within an inch of his life. And so Jesus tells him this story. Hey, religious leader, here's, so here's what happened next. A priest came by, followed by a Levite. Uh, a priest is just kind of like a higher version of a Levite, priest, priestly, both of them. And Jesus says, neither of them stopped. They walked past the guy. And he wasn't even really condemning the people because they understood that the politics and the religion of the time, it was complicated. They would have had to go through all these ceremonial cleansings if they would have touched the blood and all that. And so it's not like Jesus was coming down and laying a smackdown on these two guys. He was just saying they didn't care enough. They were more concerned about their politics than this person. They were more concerned about their religious rituals and how inconvenient it would be than a relationship with this man, even though he was on the verge of death. They cared more about that than they did him. And he says, 
But then there's a third person that came by. And the religious leader, who's like the expert in the law, maybe like a Pharisee, thinks it's going to be him. It's going to be a Pharisee. It's going to be a, a teacher in the law. That's the person who's going to come by next and save the day. And Jesus says, the next man came along, and he helped him and cared for him. That man was a Samaritan. And the whole place just gasped because Samaritans were hated. They were the worst. They were the scum of the earth. They, they, they called the Samaritan, the Jews did, heathen dogs. Heathen dogs. And so he takes care of this guy who's on his deathbed. And Jesus looks at the religious leader who's sweating profusely and angry, maybe convicted, maybe just angry. And Jesus says, who was the neighbor to this man? In other words, Religious leader, I'm putting you in the place of the person who's beat and dying. Who would you want to be a neighbor to you? Anybody, right? Anyone. Doesn't matter what color their skin is. Doesn't matter where they come from. If I'm on death's door, if I'm really in need, I don't care where help comes from. Jesus is like, that's the point. There are no categories. You go and do the same. How embarrassing for those religious people that were in the room who lived their life in categories. And Jesus blows it up. And he says, you're about your politics, your religious rituals, your categories. You're missing the whole point. I'm about putting people first. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Put people first. Here's a question for you as you go about your week. In this series, The Art of Relationships, we'll talk about all kinds of different things that will be fascinating. As you prepare for that, before we get there, this week, just ask yourself one simple question. What's best for people? When you have a decision to make, when you're looking at someone who's different than you or hurting, ask yourself, what's best for other people in this moment? Am I so self-focused that all I think about is what's best for me? How this week will I stop? Will I, will I open my eyes to the fact that there's other people around me? And some of them are in real need. Financially, to in all kinds of ways. What's best for other people? How can I participate in what's doing good for others? And here's the shocker. What's best for people is what's best for you. That's how God's economy works. It's ironic, but it's true. When you are about the business of blessing other people, you are blessed. God wired this universe such that you cannot be satisfied and content living for yourself. You can't be. It's only when you genuinely care about other people. Which leads me to one other last point that I want to make, because I thought we should talk about the lottery the lottery. I realize that probably most of you in this room bought tickets, and I'm not judging or condemning that whatsoever. That's just fine. It's cheaper than a movie, right? So maybe you had fun. It was, inter it was entertainment, if nothing else. And yet, I just want to be clear, the lottery is stupid. The lottery, the lottery is dumb. No one wins in the lottery. The, it, the, the lottery is not good for people. You know who buy lottery tickets for the most part? 
poor people trying to change their circumstance, and they get more poor buying lottery tickets instead of building a plan to work through something. You know what happens to the one or two or three people who actually win the lottery? They become poor people. The statistics are that the vast majority will file for bankruptcy because they don't know how to manage it. So let's say that three people win this 1.6 lottery. Two of them will file for bankruptcy. It's just the stats. That's what will happen. And the one person who financially kind of manages it and works it out, he's going to be lonely. He won't have any more friends. Because if he won in an office pool, the people who weren't in the office pool are going to sue him. The, 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 the staff, the department on the bottom floor that wasn't invited into the pool, they're going to sue those people for winning the thing. And, and everyone's going to try to take a cut, and he's not going to be able to trust anybody. He's going to finally just be alone and miserable. I'm telling you, no one wins the lottery, just so we're clear. Nobody wins. And here's why I tell you that. Instead of trying to hit the jackpot, instead of trying to win the lottery and get rich, be rich in relationships. It's the only way to be content and satisfied in this life. That's how God designed your life. You can't be happy otherwise. It's about relationships, first with him and then with each other. That's what it's all about. So ask yourself this week, what is best for people? God, what would you have me to do for the benefit of others? And remember, you're following the example of the God of the universe who sacrificed everything for what was best for you.